0: We read today from Matthew chapter 18, verses 10 through 20. Take care that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I tell you, in heaven, their angels continually see the face of my Father in heaven. What do you think? If a shepherd has a hundred sheep, and one of them has gone astray, Does the shepherd not leave the ninety-nine on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? And if the shepherd finds it, truly I tell you, he rejoices over it more than over the ninety-nine that never went astray. So it is not the will of your Father in heaven that one of these little ones should be lost. If your brother or sister sins against you, go and point out the fault when the two of you are alone. If they listen to you, you have regained that one. But if you are not listened to, take one or two others along with you so that every word may be confirmed by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If they refuse to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, let them be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly, I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly, I tell you, if two of you agree on earth about anything you ask, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there among them. Let us pray. Spirit of the living God, reveal your word to us this day, that we might have life in your name. Amen. In recent weeks, we began to reflect together on the many lessons of Jesus to the disciples in this particular section of Matthew's Gospel. These middle chapters function as a kind of introduction and tutorial concerning the life and character of those who follow in the way of Jesus. And two weeks ago, we read from chapter 16, Peter's confession of Jesus saying, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And we also read Jesus' response to Peter concerning the particular vocation of the church that God in Christ was establishing. And so we noted that the word church simply means gathering or assembly, although in the context of the gospel, it specifically refers to those who are called by God into the fellowship of Jesus. Thus, it is in the church that Jesus is promising to build a community whose way of life and values and actions and priorities and practices will be characterized by the life and ministry of Jesus and his gospel. A community with the energy and the inspiration, the courage and authority to go and to live and to serve and to love and to befriend all those who need to know or who long to experience that the reign of God indeed has come near. A church that is not an end in itself, but an instrument and a sign of the life and redemption of God. Jesus then says to Peter, I will give to you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, a reference to the vital presence of the Holy Spirit, whose presence in each of us grants access to the life and character of God's reign among us. The very Spirit who inspired Jesus in his life and ministry is given also to the church to lead and to guide, to encourage and to embolden, to nurture and to renew, to engage and to heal and to transform us all into the likeness of the one who is redeeming us. And because the Holy Spirit empowers the church to participate in God's mission to the neighborhood and to the world, to live a life that is rooted in the love and the mercy of God, the church is therefore also called and sent and equipped to demonstrate the promises of salvation by welcoming people to experience those promises for themselves. Such is the particular character of the church to bear witness to God's promises in our life together. Of course, that is why the legitimacy of our witness is contingent upon the integrity of the lives that we lead because God does not intend for us who have been sent to be absent from the very places where God longs to be found. And it's hard for people to put their faith in the integrity of the gospel when the integrity of the church is in question. It is difficult to believe in the good news of Jesus when the followers of Jesus seem to be without goodness. It is a challenge to trust in the promises of God when the people of God are not trustworthy. And it's problematic to try and tell someone that God cares for them when the church doesn't really seem to care at all. But being the church means being open to the presence of the Holy Spirit to begin to shape not just our lives, but the character of our life together. And being open to the presence of the Holy Spirit is necessary if we are going to participate in the life of the kingdom of God. But it's no use being open to the Holy Spirit if we cannot accept that God is really able to be present among us. And it's no use being open to the Holy Spirit if we have convinced ourselves that everything is fine just the way that it is. After all, it is the Holy Spirit who enables us to participate in the ongoing ministry of Jesus. And as we have said, this is our vocation. Thus, the church exists not as a destination place, but as a dynamic community where God lives through the Spirit, pointing the way of redemption and grace as a visible sign of the kingdom of God. And for those of you worshiping with us two weeks ago, some of this might sound familiar. Did you know that the word church appears only two times in the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? just twice, once in Matthew 16 and again in today's reading from chapter 18. For in this middle section of Matthew's gospel that we have been reading and studying together, we find a continuation of themes about which to deepen our reflection and understanding, we pray and whereas the first mention of the church in chapter 16 refers to the establishment of a living and dynamic community, here in today's reading, Jesus' words to the disciples concern the ongoing ministry of reconciliation that is meant to exemplify the witness and character of our life together. It is not a coincidence that the language of church reappears in chapter 18. It is also not a coincidence that in both places where Jesus refers to the church, he also makes reference to the authority of the church over the powers of death and destruction. As Jesus repeats verbatim, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven, Why would Jesus take the time to say this more than once unless he really wanted the disciples not just to hear it but to get it, to understand and begin to take seriously that our actions, the decisions that we make, and the character of our life together will have an impact not just on the future but today in the here and now. Jesus isn't telling them that this is how it is going to be. Jesus is telling them that this is how it is. But let's be clear about it. The authority of the church is not an authority to be wielded and defended, nor is it an entitlement to be upheld at another's expense. Remember the cross and let us consider the example of Jesus. It is the power of beatitude, the power of God's own blessing and bestowal, a gift to be shared, a responsibility to live, an example to demonstrate. Therefore, such a gift is not ours to use as we please. The authority of the church is only effectual insofar as we are actually aligned with the purposes of God. It is only as good as our intentions. It is only as genuine as our love. And that is why the church exists, to be aligned with the purposes of God. The Lord Jesus Christ calls his church into being so that it may serve him on earth until he comes. So the late Bishop Leslie Newbegin reminds us the church, as God's gathering, derives its character not from its membership, but from its head, not from those who join it, but from the one who calls it into being. Jesus is legitimating in today's reading, just in case we had forgotten, that our participation in the fellowship of the people of God is something more than a privilege to be preserved, an occasional activity a once in a while commitment, an infrequent commission that is contingent upon our feelings and obligations on a given day, a duty that we are free to ignore if we are moved beyond our comfort zone. Our calling in Christ is to be guided by the Holy Spirit in all things and to let Jesus become the center that which holds everything else together, the very substance and depth of who we are, of how we live, that influences and impacts all of the rest. Because when we discover who we are in Christ, that our life belongs to a loving God and is being redeemed, our life begins to flow from out of that awareness and understanding. And when we discover how in Christ we are to live with each other and toward the people around us, our way of being in the world becomes increasingly shaped by the way of love that we are learning, a love that frees us to enact God's purposes in this world because we trust that we and this world are being redeemed. Thus in Christ we have been authorized to establish justice, and to put an end to the inequities of opportunity in our society. We have been authorized to demonstrate love toward one another and to remedy the brokenness that lingers in our community. We have been authorized to announce the promise of forgiveness and restoration for those who suffer the indignity of believing that their lives have been wasted away, We have been authorized to overcome the barriers of prejudice and hatred that continues to divide a nation that claims to be united. We have been authorized to become a sign that another way is possible when people insist that the way things are is the way they're supposed to be. We have been authorized to become a reconciling people not allowing our grievances to keep us apart when Christ is able to bring us together. Because it is not enough to be at peace with God if we are at war with our neighbor. But listen closely to what Jesus is saying here in Matthew chapter 18. Jesus very clearly distinguishes between the practice of forgiveness and the ignoring of grievances. On the contrary, Jesus insists upon the need for us to make room to begin to address the ways that we have hurt one another openly and honestly with the desire that there may be mending between us. But there can be no mending without listening. And we cannot renew the promises that we are called to make to one another when we are unable to accept and to confront the feeling that such promises have been broken. And yet Jesus again insists to his disciples that the key to maintaining the character of their life together, the primary reason for committing themselves to the many challenges of being the church, is remembering along the way the promise of God's presence among them as they make the journey. It is nothing less than the assurance of God's spirit, real and living presence among us that orients us as the followers of Jesus toward becoming a reconciled and reconciling people. It is this assurance that enables us to admit mistakes and to try again. It is this assurance that gives us courage to really listen and to speak the truth. It is this assurance that gives us patience when we're tired and ready to give up. It is this assurance that renews our commitment to each other, even when we're lost and we're just not sure how to find our way home again. The possibility that the Holy Spirit the very presence of divine love is not just near to you now, but is at work in your home and in your family and at the grocery store and on the street corner and in your life and ways that are so deep that you might not even see or feel or notice or understand, but whose grace is nonetheless preparing you to align your life with the purposes of God. Amid all the many lessons that we find in this middle section of Matthew's gospel, amid the many responsibilities and challenges of life and relationship that Jesus summons those who follow him to accept and to overcome, the promise of Jesus to his disciples here again in today's reading is you can trust me. You can trust me. Even when you don't trust each other, even when you struggle to trust yourself, even if you've never trusted me before, you can trust me now. That the love of God is near and present to you, right where you are, in the center of your confusion, In the middle of your mess, in the shadow of your broken heart, in the story of your pain and hurting, in the night when your tears fell and you thought no one was listening, in the desperate place that you try to hide from your friends, in the lonely places of shame and isolation, in the troubled place of fear and feeling like you just don't know what to do anymore. Jesus says and is saying, My love is in the midst of you. My love will never leave you or let you go. My love has claimed you and has taken hold. My love is redeeming your life, redeeming your life redeeming your life, both now and forevermore. Amen.